Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. If you're just joining us, producer Kimberly Winston continues her roundup with a diverse group of spiritual and faith leaders from around the country. Let's get back to Kimberly as she tackles one of the hardest questions many struggle with, how to believe in a world full of suffering. In this unprecedented year, I have been wrestling daily with the idea of a benevolent God who can allow so much suffering. This is a problem theologians call theodicy, the problem of reconciling great evil in the world with a God who loves and cares for us. I am certainly not the first to grapple with it, but it is one of the perks of my profession that when I am struggling with a matter of faith, I get to call professionals who can, hopefully, help me work through it. There are questions that probably don't have an answer that would satisfy everyone. It depends in some ways on your conception of God and what you think about God. Different faith traditions think about God in different ways. That's Varun Soni, the Dean of Religious Life at the University of Southern California. He offers up a twist on Fred Rogers' famous answer to the question, that when you want to know where God is in a tragedy, look at the helpers. For me as a Hindu, the way I think about God is that um, God is inside of us, not outside of us. And so where is God? Where is God in the pandemic? Uh, For me, God is in the work that all of us do in response to the pandemic. You know, God is in the first responders. God is in the research scientists who moved a vaccine process from 10 years to 10 months. God is in the people who are on the streets caring for each other. God is in the protesters on the streets advocating for justice. God is in the way we serve each other. So if we are looking for God in the midst of the chaos, what I would encourage people to do is look inside. How is God working through you? How are you serving God by serving others? If God is in all of us, then the way we serve God is by serving others. And then the way that God works in the world is by working through us. Drew Hart, the Messiah College theologian who works at the intersection of religion and race, rejects the notion of a deity who works behind a curtain with a master plan. That can't be my starting point, right? The kind of easy answer is, oh, God is just there, and God is making everything happen, and whatever happens, God is doing it for a reason, and all that. Those are unsatisfactory if you actually care about the disproportionate suffering that goes on among those who are most vulnerable in our world. And so for me, Instead of understanding God as this kind of puppet master over the world that's pulling all the moves, right, and and making things happen or the blueprints, right, for everything that happens in the world, I don't think of God in that way. What if instead God is active as a spirit that comes alongside human beings, especially those who are most vulnerable, not puppeting creation, but coming alongside and encouraging people to persevere, encouraging people to love, encouraging people to to link arms together, to move towards shalom and to to struggle for justice most meaningfully. I think God is at work rather in the cracks and edges and margins of society and where we find people, again, finding the courage to stand up and speak up and, and struggle for justice. That's where I think God is at work. Reverend Emily Scott tells me she finds a compassionate God in the teachings of liberation theology which emphasize social justice and the poor. Her God, she tells me, is a God of restoration, not in control of our choices, but there to restore us in the midst of great suffering. 
I see God coming close to be alongside us in pain and desolation. God has particular concern for those who have been left behind by the world or those who have been left on the outside. Um, I think God shows up in those places in particular. So even in the midst of incredible strife, incredible conflict, incredible losses, God still makes the choice to come and be alongside us. And unfortunately, that's not the same thing as taking the pain away or ending the suffering. And that's a sort of difficult truth that at least I as a Christian sort of am always holding intention. <laughs> yeah, with the, the knowledge of God next to me um, is not the same thing as God making me happy or ending my pain, but still that sense of presence and that possibility of restoration is a promise that, that is always kind of waiting to unfold. For me, the suffering of this pandemic, it's about human choices and how we have responded and made use of God's gifts to us uh, and especially God's freedom that, you know, the freedom that God bestowed to us to make choices of you know, righteous choices or evil choices. That's David Wolkenfeld, an Orthodox rabbi in Chicago. We have that freedom. That's the dignity of humanity, that we have the capacity to choose good or evil. And I think it's exhibited in this COVID crisis in such a poignant way. The utter failure of our ability to take care of one another in the meantime, right? The vaccine was there. We just, all we had to do was take care of each other for a few months, right? Uh, this could have been, been avoided. So I don't think it's fair to blame God for for our failure to build a civilization, sustain a civilization that can handle that task. And so the disconnect is so striking, right, between our capacity for technological brilliance, right, lightning speed innovation and life-saving technology, but without the corresponding solidarity and social cohesion to help us get through this unscathed. Becky Eldridge, the Catholic spiritual director, tells me about some teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola. St. Ignatius imagines what the Christian Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, were thinking in the moments before the incarnation of Jesus. Imagine as they were gazing down upon the world the moment before Jesus became human, and what they saw were people laughing and crying, people both being born and dying, they saw the joy, they saw the suffering, they saw people undernourished, they saw aimless people killing, all the things. And every time I read those words, I think that could be written today, right, in 2020, like the same fullness of life, all of the, <laughs> the fullness of joy, the fullness of sorrow, and everything in between. And it was in that that they came to dwell in the person of Jesus, like came to be part of that and drew as close as possible to our humanity. And it's something that I just keep coming back to this year, right? There's something very comforting to me to go, that fullness of humanity is what Jesus came to enter. and they're still seeking to draw near to all of it here, the fullness of who we are. So in terms of, you know, how does God allow all of this? 
I don't have a great, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just one and done answer. But what I know is that God sees all of it, that God seeks to draw near to us in it. What if those answers are not enough? They weren't for me. But then Rabbi Neil Blumoff, leader of a conservative synagogue in Austin, turned my question on its head. I don't know for me that knowing or understanding is my first priority. Because I I don't know, and there's so many things I don't know, so many things about how the world works. So how does Judaism help us? To me, as a wisdom tradition, the very first lesson I try to teach my students is that Judaism privileges the questions more than the answers. And to, to make peace with the fact that we may not actually get the answers that will satisfy us, or if they satisfy us, they're only going to satisfy us for a moment or two like candy. So to actually recognize the difficulties of the system and to work like hell to try to make the system better with our very lives. That's, I guess, the best I could hope for. I think that's a great way to say it. Being in that wrestling, as you just said beautifully, I think is the best that we can, is the privilege, actually, that we can do. Sometimes we're going to you know, find a good move that gets us in the advantage, and sometimes we're going to be overwhelmed by the sheer power of what we are wrestling. So we continue to wrestle. And for the faith leaders I spoke to for this roundup, the world's faith traditions have a lot of wisdom that can help us recover from our pain in the new year and beyond. For theologian Drew Hart, that means a return to the basics of his Christian faith, starting with the practice of confession. Confession for our collective role in the systemic racism revealed by the pandemic. Confession is just to, to name the, the ways over the centuries, as well as recent history, that people of faith, and I'm going to say Christians in particular, and I'll go even more specific and say the majority of the white church has played a role in creating, constructing, and perpetuating white supremacy in this land, right? So that's the first step is just owning that, not dodging it, not denying it, not getting defensive about it, just speaking truthfully and confessing that reality. Second, then, is repentance, right? It's the decision that I'm going to live differently. You own it, and you say, I'm going to make a change. Repentance is more than just being sorry about something, but it's actually the change itself. It's actually the action of turning in the other direction. And then it's enhancing and growing and deepening new ways of being in the world, right? New life so that we become new people. So my hope is that we could take our own faith more seriously. Certainly the life of Jesus could help us be better neighbors with our brothers and sisters in the broader community as well. If we actually took those postures, those basic Christian practices seriously, I think we would be in a much better place to have conversation around um, where we've been, the harm that has been caused, and can help us organize on the ground at the grassroots level towards um, a more flourishing society in our, in our neighborhoods. In Baltimore, where she leads two Lutheran congregations, Emily Scott says faith communities should re-examine their resources from different angles and in creative ways. Many of us have resources that are underutilized. So it might be saying, you know, we're only in our building once or twice a week. What can happen in this building that can bring justice to our neighborhood? And that could be 
a tutoring center. It could be free internet access for students who are studying. It could be that the congregation sanctuary gets used as a homeless shelter or a job center. So much has changed already. We might as well just keep going instead of trying to get back to what used to be and think much more creatively about what we can do with the resources that we have. I do believe as people of faith, we have a role here. And part of it is about being a voice of hope. That's Becky Eldridge again, the Catholic spiritual director in Baton Rouge. I think being witnesses of hope, and again, that is not naive. I think sometimes we throw that word hope around so much that it, it comes across like a an optimism. Hope is that there's something else on the horizon. There's a different way of seeing possibilities. And so one of the things I think role of faith and those of us as people of faith is to keep reminding ourselves and others that this is not the end, right? That there is, God's going to help us reimagine life, reimagine what is possible, reimagine that out of our suffering, that good can be born, that we can take some of the things we learned and, you know, hopefully it'll make us more compassionate. Maybe we'll have a better understanding that we are connected to each other, that it'll birth more kindness and generosity and gentleness. But Varun Soni of USC has a different take entirely. Instead of thinking about how traditional faith practices can bring recovery in the new year, he proposes employing what he calls spiritual technologies. And why do I call them spiritual technologies? Because things like prayer and ritual and pilgrimage and congregational singing and contemplative practice, they have been tried and tested for hundreds and thousands of years. There's been a hypothesis, they've been tested, they've been altered, they've been sort of verified, and they endure because these practices work for people. Now the science tells us about not just the spirituality of ritual, but the science of ritual, the science of mindfulness, the science of gratitude, but spiritual practitioners have known about those outcomes for thousands of years. We don't have to have faith that ritual is powerful. We don't have to have faith that prayer is powerful or transformative. We don't have to have faith that community is important. Those are technologies that have been tested over time. And so where I think religious practitioners and leaders can be leaders in the post-pandemic world is to revisit those technologies like ritual, like congregational worship, like contemplative practice, and to reimagine them for a new day. I think the problem that we get stuck with is the idea of tradition, that everything has to be the way it always was. But rituals that are now old were once new. This is the time to reimagine rituals. What is the new ritual that emerges for a new generation that's gone through a new crisis? What are the new prayers, the new songs, the new kinds of communities, the new worldviews, the new principles, the new pillars of well-being? We don't have to just mine our ancient wisdom of the past. We can take the timeless aspects of our faith traditions and reimagine what they look like in a timely way. That's the act of creative reinterpretation. That's what I hope faith leaders feel empowered to do right now and then through 2021. That was Varun Soni, Dean of Religious Life at the University of Southern California, speaking with producer Kimberly Winston. Coming up, Sony and other members of this week's Roundup share prayers, rituals, and the spiritual practices that sustain them as they're moving into a new year. 
You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. Stay with us. <laughs> <laughs> 